Chapter Two of Mary Carey, Frequently Martha. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jan McGillivray. Mary Carey, Frequently Martha, by Kate Langley Bosher. Chapter Two, The Coming of Miss Catherine. Now, why can't I keep on at a thing like Miss Catherine? Why? Because I'm just Mary Carey, mostly Martha, made of nothing, came from nowhere, and don't know where I'm going, and have no more system in my nature than Miss Bray has charms for gentlemen. But Miss Catherine? Well, there never was and never will be but one Miss Catherine. And there's as much chance of my being like her as there is of my reaching the stars. I'll never be like her, but she's my friend. That's the wonderful part of it. She's my friend. And when you've got a friend like Miss Catherine, you've got strength to do anything. To stand anything, too. The beautiful part of it is that I live with her. That is, she lives in the asylum, and I sleep in the room with her. It happened this way. Last summer I didn't want to do anything but sit down. It was the funniest thing, for before that I never did like to sit down if I could stand up, or skip around, or climb, or run, or dance, or jump. I never could walk straight or slow, and I never can keep step. Well, last summer I didn't want to move, and I couldn't eat. And I didn't even feel like reading. I'd have such queer slipping away feelings right in my heart that I'd call myself a drop of ink on a blotter that was spreading and spreading and couldn't stop. Sometimes I would think I was sinking down and down, but I really wasn't sinking, for I didn't move. I only felt like I was. And I was afraid to go to sleep at night for fear I would die. And I stayed awake so as to know about it if I did. And then I began to be afraid of dying, and my heart would beat so I thought it would wear out. But I didn't tell anybody how I felt. I was ashamed of being afraid, and I just told God, because I knew He could understand better than anybody else. And I asked Him please to hold on to me, I not being able to do much holding myself, and He held. I know it, for I felt it. You see, Mrs. Blaymeyer, she's Miss Bray's assistant, was away. Miss Bray was getting ready to go when Mrs. Blaymeyer came back, and Miss Jones was pickling and preserving. I didn't want to bother her, so I dragged on and kept my feelings to myself. The girls were awful good to me. Real many have relations in Yorkburg. And if I'd eaten all the fruit they sent me, I'd been a tooty fruity, but I couldn't eat it. And then one day I began to talk so queer they were frightened, and told Miss Bray, and she sent for the doctor quick. That afternoon they took me to the hospital, and the last thing I saw was little Josie White, crying like her heart would break, with her arms around a tree. Please don't die, Mary Carey. Please don't die. She kept saying over and over, and when they tried to make her go in, she bawled worse than ever. I tried to wave my hand. I'm not going to die. I'm coming back, I said, and that's all I remember.
I knew they put me in something and drove off. And then I was in a little white bed in a big room with a lot of other little beds in it. And after that, I didn't know I was living for three weeks. But I talked just the same. They told me I made speeches by the hour, and read books out loud, and recited poems that had never been printed. But when I stopped and lay like the dead, just breathing, the girls say they heard there were no hopes, and a lot of them just cried and cried. It was awful nice of them. And if they hadn't cut my hair off, I would have made a real pretty corpse. The day I first saw Miss Catherine really good, she was standing by my bed, holding my wrist in one hand and her watch in another. And I thought she was an angel, and I was in heaven. She was in white, and I took her little white cap for a crown, and I said, Are you my mother? She nodded and smiled, but she didn't speak, and I asked again, Are you my mother? You're right now, mother, she said, and she smiled so delicious I thought of course I was in heaven, and I spoke once more. Where's God? Then she stooped down and kissed me. In your heart and mine, she answered. But you mustn't talk, not yet. Shut your eyes, and I will sing you to sleep. And I shut them, and I knew I was in heaven, for heaven isn't a place. It's a feeling, and I had it. And that's how I met Miss Catherine. Her father and mother are dead, just like mine. Her father was Judge Trent, and his father once owned half the houses in Yorkburg, but lost them some way. And what he didn't lose, Judge Trent did, after the war. When her father died, Miss Catherine wouldn't live with either of her brothers or any of her relations, but went to Baltimore to study to be a nurse. After she graduated, she didn't come back for three or four years, and she hadn't been back six months when I was taken sick. And now I sing, Praise God from whom that sickness flew. Sing it inside almost all the time. Miss Catherine don't have to be a nurse. She has a little money. I don't know how much. She never mentioning money before me. But she has some, for I heard Miss Bray and Mrs. Blameyer talking one night when they thought I was asleep, and for once I didn't interrupt or let them know I was awake. I had been punished so often for speaking when I shouldn't that this time I kept quiet, and when they were through I couldn't sleep. I was so excited I stayed awake all night, and from joy, pure joy. I had only been back from the hospital a week, and was in the room next to Mrs. Blameyer's, where the children who are sick stay, when I heard Miss Bray talking to Mrs. Blameyer, and at something she said I sat up in bed. Right or wrong, I tried to hear. I did. They were sitting in front of the fire, and Miss Bray leaned over and cracked the coals. "'Have you heard that Miss Catherine Trent is coming here as a trained nurse?' she said. And she put down the poker, and folding her arms, began to rock. "'You don't mean it!' said Mrs. Blameyer, and her little voice just cackled. "'Coming here! To this place! I do declare!' And she drew her chair up closer, 
being a little deaf. That's what she's going to do. Miss Bray took off her spectacles. The board can't afford to pay her a salary, but she's offered to come without one, and next week she'll start in. Catherine Trent always was queer, she went on, still rocking with all her might. She can get big prices as a nurse, though she doesn't have to nurse at all, having money enough to live on without working. And why she wants to come to a place like this and fool with fifty-odd children and get no pay for it is beyond my understanding. It's her business, however, not mine, and I'm glad she's coming. I do declare, and Mrs. Blamire clapped her hands like she was getting religion. My, but I'm glad. Miss Catherine Trent coming here. And next week, you say? I do declare. And her gladness sounded in her voice. It was a different kind from Miss Bray's. Even in the dark, I could tell. For hers was thankfulness for the children. Miss Bray was glad for herself. That was almost a year ago, and now my hair has come out, and curls worse than ever. It's very thick, and it's brown, light brown. I'm always intending to stand still in front of the glass long enough to see what I do look like, but I'm always in such a hurry I don't have time. I know my eyes are blue, for Miss Catherine said this morning they got bigger and bluer every day. And if I didn't eat more, I'd be nothing but eyes. If you don't like a thing, can you eat it? You cannot. That is, in summer you can't. In winter it's a little easier. I never have understood how Miss Catherine could have come to an orphan asylum to live and to eat orphan asylum meals when she could have eaten the best in Yorkburg. And Yorkburg's best is the best on earth. Everybody says that who's tried other places, even Miss Webb, who gets right impatient with Yorkburg's slowness and enjoyment of itself. And Miss Catherine is living here from pure choice. That's what she is doing, and she's made living creatures of us, just like God did when he breathed on Adam and woke him up. At the hospital she used to ask me all about the asylum, and never guessing why, I told her all I knew, except about Miss Bray. Miss Catherine had known the asylum all her life, but had only been in it twice, just passing it by, not thinking. When I got better and could talk as much as I pleased, she wanted to know how many of us there were, what we did and how we did it, what we ate and what kind of underclothes we wore in winter, and how many times a week we bathed all over, when we got up, and what we studied, and how long we sewed each day, and how long we played, and when we went to bed, and all sorts of other things. I wondered why she wanted to know, and when I found out I could have laid right down and died from pure gladness. I didn't, though. Once I asked her what made her do it, and she laughed and said because she wanted to and that she was much obliged to me for having found her work for her. But I believe there's some other reason she won't tell. And why I believe so is that sometimes, when she thinks I am asleep, I see her looking in the fire, and there's something in her face that's never there at any other time. It's a remembrance. 
I guess most hearts have them if they live long enough. But you'd never think Miss Catherine had one. She's so glad and cheerful and busy all the time. I wonder if it's a sweetheart remembrance. I know three of her beaux, one in Yorkburg and two from away, who have been to see her frequent times. But a beau is different from a sweetheart. I'm sure that look means something secret, and I bet it's a man. Who is he? I don't know. I wish he was dead. I do. When I first came back from the hospital, my little old sticks of legs wouldn't hold me up, and down I would go. But I didn't mind that. I just minded not going to sleep at night. But sleep wouldn't come, and I'd get so wide awake trying to make it that I began to have a teeny bit of fever again. And then it was Miss Catherine asked if she might take me in her room. I was nervous and still needed attention, she said. And magnificent gloriousness! I was sent to her room to stay until perfectly well, and I'm here yet. Perfectly well because I am here. That first night, when I got into the little white bed next to her bed, and knew she was going to be there beside me, I couldn't go to sleep right off. I kept wishing I was King David, so I could write a book of gratitudes and psalms and praises. And that was the first night I ever really prayed right. I didn't ask for a thing except for help to be worth it. The trouble she was taking for just little me, a charity child. Just me! And oh, the difference in her room and the room I had left! She had had it painted and papered herself, for it hadn't been used since Kingdom Come, and the cobwebs in it would have filled a barrel. It had been a packing room, and when Miss Catherine first saw it, she just whistled soft and easy. But when she was through, it was just a dream. It is a big room at the end of the wing, and it has three windows in it, one in the front and one in the back, and one opposite the door you come in. And when the paper was put on, you felt like you were in a great big garden of roses, pink roses, for they were running all over the walls, and they were so natural I could smell them. I really could. Miss Catherine brought her own furniture and things, and she put a carpet on the floor, all over, not just strips. And the windows had muslin curtains at them with cretonne curtains just full of pink roses, looped back from the muslin ones. And the couch and the cushions and some chairs were all covered with the same kind of pink roses. And as for the bed, it was too sweet for anybody to lie on. That is, for anybody but Miss Catherine to lie on. There was a big closet for her clothes, and a writing desk which had been in the family a hundred years, maybe a thousand, I don't know and one side of the room was filled with books in shelves which old Peter Sands made and painted white for her. She lets me look at them as much as I want, and says I can read as many as I choose when I am old enough to understand them. She didn't mention any time to begin trying to understand, and so I started at once, and I've read about forty already. There aren't a great many pictures on Miss Catherine's walls just a few besides the portraits of her mother and father, oil paintings. 
and oh, dear children, what are to be. I'm going to have my picture painted as soon as I marry your father, so you can know what I looked like, in case I should die without warning. I want you to have it, knowing so well what it means to have nothing that belonged to your mother, I not having anything, not even a strand of hair or a message. Sometimes I wonder if I ever really did have a mother, or if the doctor just left me somewhere and nobody wanted me. I must have had one, for Betty Johnson says a baby's bound to. That a father isn't so specially necessary, but you've got to have a mother. Mine died when I was born. I wonder how that happened, when there wasn't anybody in all this great big earth to take care of me except my father, who didn't know how. He died, too, and then I was an orphan. This is a strange world and it's better not to try to understand things. In the winter time, Miss Catherine always has a beautiful crackling fire in her room and some growing flowers and green things. It was a revelation to the girls her room was. Not fine, and it didn't cost much, but you felt nicer and kinder the minute you went in it, and it made Mrs. Reagan's grand parlors seem like shining brass and tinkling cymbals. I wonder why. End of chapter 2 Recording by Jan McGillivray